Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and what I'm hoping from this podcast today is that we don't record the whole podcast for the best part of an hour um, only for Mm -hmm. two minutes after we've recorded for the whole Super League to collapse (laughs) and as a result the podcast become completely invalid and uh, outdated so hopefully today's not going to bring anything like that but uh, obviously we are all pleased that uh, the Super League has completely disbanded so uh, but Fingers crossed that this is a more successful podcast in terms of output. <laughs> yes, let's hope so. I mean, talking of opinions that are outdated and wrong, uh, I think it was two, three podcasts ago, I was complimenting our attack, saying how it looks like we're going to score in every game. So um, it's nothing we're not familiar with. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've been there and done that all season in terms of uh, <laughs> recording a podcast to say how great things are, and then five minutes later, it all goes to shit. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. But uh, we'll get on to the football shortly, and we'll get on to, the, obviously, the fallout of the, uh, the Super League collapse as well. Um, but first, we are returning to our usual structure and taking part in our weekly commentary quiz. Now, this week, as always, we are going to each select a piece of commentary, and the other person has to try and guess which piece of commentary we are talking about. So, Andre, I think it's your turn to uh, deliver your commentary first this week. Certainly is. Certainly is. Okay. Pleb across the face of goal and in after 40 minutes of frustration. (laughs) Oh, um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Would you like me... I'm going to give you this clue. Okay. I've chosen this goal because of this week. Because of this week. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, that was too big a clue, that one. That is obviously <laughs> Cleb, uh, hammering it across for Colo Torre to put us 1-0 up. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna use the excuse that I was at that game. So I, I, maybe I, I didn't hear the commentary live at the time. But uh, what, what, a, what, a, what a moment. Um and what a wonderful clue as well. I think I think you've uh, tied that in superbly. <laughs> to attack from this kind of area. That's quite clever. Lev, across the face of goal, and in! Well, Tories are He's going to away, it's the last touch. And Arsenal get a vital lead just before half-time, after over 40 minutes. <laughs> do you know what? I, I decided I was going to do that goal with whatever commentary I would find. And... To be honest with you, uh, I don't know whether that was on Sky or ITV. I expected a, a banging bit of commentary from Clyde, um, but there wasn't really any. And it was just Ian Dark saying Cleb across the face of goal and in after 40 minutes of frustration. And then the only highlight I could find of this goal was on it's, a, a, a... It's nowhere to be It's nowhere to be seen. It's really hard to find, considering it's such a pivotal moment in a semi-final. And the only time we've got to a... a European Cup final. Um, it's I, I. Let me just clear that up. Obviously, we've been in European Cup finals, but not the European Cup final before that. Um, mm. But um, yeah, it, it's really difficult to find. And I've looked for highlights of that game before. And I, whenever I want to see it, I have to dig out a uh, end of season um, DVD or something like that to find the actual commentary from the TV. So it's uh, and we know that I'm a big fan of Ian Dark as well. <laughs> uh, yes, um, but but uh, yeah, was that the game of the Highbury Squirrel? Or was that earlier in the run? It, it was the Highbury Squirrel, and I, I, I was I was sat in the North Bank for that game with my dad, um, and my dad had a season ticket at the time in the East Stand, and because of uh, the nature of European football and obviously the priorities to certain people for tickets, my dad's ticket got moved to the North Bank for that game. So I, I, I sat next to him and also someone who got moved was uh, Paul Davis, who was sat behind us. That's amazing. Yeah, so he got he got moved as well from the East End. So. Do you remember when we played against Paul Davis? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, you've got to tell that story now, Andre. <laughs> what, where we ran him ragged in midfield at Arsenal's training ground. Um, that was a proud moment. We dominated Paul Davis in the centre of midfield. But I think the highlight of that tournament was, um, uh, what was it, Handy Andy? Tommy Walsh. 
Sorry, Tommy Walsh. <laughs> I, I knew when you said the highlight that you were going to go down the Tommy Walsh route. <laughs> that, he saved. Our listeners will be absolutely clueless, possibly, to who that was. Ground Force, I believe. It was Ground uh, Force, yeah. He was in goals. There was a, we were in a tournament, 11 aside, at Arsenal's training ground. We had a very good team um, as well. Tom, Tom playing uh, centre-half. I was playing centre-mid. And... Um, you know, you know a lot about my personality that I managed and captain the side and ran it and administrated it and sorted it all out. <laughs> <laughs> and then graciously took myself off because we had 25 centre midfielders in the squad. Anyway, um, but uh, in a game we weren't playing and we were watching, someone tried a lob from 25 yards and it was going in all day. And he let like a salmon, this 50-year-old man who had quite a stomach and produced a, a miraculous save over the bar and then thudded to the ground to just pure pure joy. But he looked in absolute agony. But, uh, <laughs> he really magical did. Magical times. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> playing against Paul Davis is one thing, but uh, watching <laughs> Tommy Walsh perform that save was another thing entirely. <laughs> It really was. It really was. And, and I think to be really clear, because it might sound like we are unbelievable footballers, we're, we're very good. But um, Paul Davis was in his 50s and could barely move. Um, we were in our early 20s. It, it wasn't fair. It really wasn't. On the ball, though, he was unbelievable. He really was. He really was. Um, still, still had glimpses of that uh, that brilliance, but uh, we uh, we we got the better of him that day. <laughs> we did. We did. Excellent. Wow. What a what a what a what a track we've just gone down. I know. It's um, an unbelievable tangent, but uh, it really is. Mo- moving swiftly back on track. Yes. Um, it's my turn to deliver my commentary to you. So, are you ready for this one? Yeah. Okay. Oh, brilliant. He took it first time and with devastating effect. Arsenal back in it. Oh, see, there's a bit of commentary that I nearly did for you that has Arsenal back in it. And that's a Cazorla free kick in the FA Cup final. But it's not that. No, because that wouldn't be taken first time. Uh Okay, I might need another clue. I'll give, I'll give you a clue. Um, it was with Unai Emery at the helm. Oh, was it a Bamiyang against Tottenham? It was a Bamiyang against Tottenham. Ah, uh, ah, oh, oh. that was an electrifying game. I had a feeling it might be that. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. I asked for the clue. I mean, I don't want to talk too much, uh, too highly about Mr. Emery um, in, in lieu of it being the week it is, but he made two halftime substitutions, which we literally hadn't seen for 20 years under Wenger, yeah. and it changed the game. And I remember feeling almost rampant after that game. We absolutely, oh, we just, we, we eliminated Tottenham in that second half. It was brilliant. And a Bamiyang, you know, Really a goal poacher, but that was a stunning finish from outside the box. Doris, one of those where the keepers... Uh, when a keeper stays stood up and just, like, watches it into that far corner, it is very satisfying. Aubameyang! Oh, brilliant! He took it first time, and with devastating effect, Arsenal back in it! Celebrations. The atmosphere that day as well was absolutely electric. Um, mm. from, from start to finish, it was just one of those games where it just was so highly charged. And obviously, we had the uh, the, the scuffle after Tottenham equalised um, on the <laughs> on the touchline with obviously Eric Dyer saying to Aaron Ramsey, "Sit back down." And obviously, Ramsey came on and completely changed the game. <laughs> um, and it was just one of those. Uh, that just typifies the North London derby, just how how fierce it was and how every challenge was was contested and everything was just, from our perspective, an almost perfect performance if you take uh, the, the two Tottenham goals away. Um, and there was real belief then that we, we had like a proper manager at our club because of the changes that he made. Um, obviously, it didn't quite come to fruition, 
but hopefully he can have an absolute shocker on Thursday because, as you say, we don't want to big him up too much, do we? <laughs> we don't. We don't. We need him to be uh, second season Emery tomorrow. Yeah, we need second season flaccid Emery. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Pure, pure bad Emery. I don't think we're going to get it, though, but um, more on that later. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I quite, I, I enjoyed both of our clues, to be fair. I, I thought they were, um, obviously, they, they did sort of give it away, but um, they were subtle enough that they were, they, they were cute. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That was a, a near post finish um, from Giroud there, I'd suggest. That was uh, delicate, delicate. Yeah. Hooking it with the outside of his left against Tottenham. What a goal that was, by the way. <laughs> Should we go off on another tangent now? Let, what other, what other to- if any listeners have any Tommy Walsh stories, then uh, please email them in and we'll get talking about them. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like we don't want to talk about the Everton game. It's funny. It that. is almost like that, but should we... shall we smoothly transition into talking about the Everton game? No. <laughs> No, I don't want to. I want to talk about playing a 50-year-old Paul Davis again. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, we've got to get it out of the way. So there's been a lot that has happened in the last week. Um, It's been a a manic week in the world of football. Um, And obviously our podcast last week was very negative, very down, um, where we spoke about the Super League. Now, obviously we will talk about that um, today, but I think it's important to try and get back to talking about the football where we can because it's it, it's still potentially an important time for Arsenal this season. Um, and on Friday night, obviously, we lost 1-0 to Everton and we still were harbouring hopes going into that game of securing European football through the league. Um, that looks like that has been and gone now because of another poor performance and another really, really, really poor result. Um, mm. So, Andre, what did you make of the game? Yeah, well, you know, we've not been very good at the Spotify arena this season. Um, <laughs> Have you been waiting to get that one in for a while? <laughs> uh, I made one note after the game, which just put, it's another mediocre side we are incapable of beating. I'm fully aware of what it says about us this season. Um, you know, you could go into team selection. You could go into so many different things. I thought we played pretty well second half. I thought first half was, having watched the other couple of games uh, that took place last week in light of the Super League, they were very flat. They were. You they could, really were. Yeah, and you could tell there was that that, that weighed on a lot of minds. Um, but I think Sunes made a point after the game, just saying Premier League football is really quite hard to watch at the minute. And I feel like this game encapsulated a few of the problems going on because it's very dull. Teams look dead on their feet. Um, Everton, I think, have been a pretty good side this season, but they yeah. looked they looked dire. They looked yet we couldn't do anything to really expose them. And then it's a horrific error from Leno, which we'll come on to later. But as well, the penalty and VAR, and just sitting here talking to you again about a a microscopic VAR decision and being so annoyed about that, but also having to accept that the reason we're so annoyed is because we just don't do enough to win football matches without those, you know, those decisions made on the the minutiae of detail, they matter too much for us. And we could probably have a debate about whether that's an Arteta thing, a no crowds thing, a VAR thing, but it's just, I feel like we've watched that, we've watched that game at the Emirates this season countless times. And sometimes it's been nil-nil, Sometimes it's been 1-0 to us. Sometimes it's 1-0 to the opposition. And that is the definition of a mid-table team. But how we've lost twice to this Everton in the way those games are played out is just astonishing. Yeah, um, I think you summarised everything really, really nicely there because it's it's so difficult to watch that sort of football week in, week out at the moment. Um, and it's... Watching us at home is is a really really alarming. 
Um, and it feels like we've had this conversation so many times this season about abject performances at the Emirates. Um, and as you say, we are a team who clearly function on really, really fine margins. Now, obviously, I'm just going to refer back to obviously what you said a few weeks ago about we look like we can score goals. We, we, we were looking like we could score goals. And I think that's that was a fair statement. Um, but we seem to have reverted back to our, our struggling ways. And I'm not really sure exactly why that is. Um, but it's, it is alarming. Well, I, I, and I, 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 do, you, do you not think, just to say, sort of don't know why that is, I, I, do you not think it just comes down to, it's, if it's not coming from a 19-year-old Saka or a 20-year-old Smith-Rowe, it's not coming? Yeah, I think I think that's a completely fair fair statement to make. And as we know about young players, young players are inconsistent. They are going to go through patches where they're not as 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 free flowing and as prolific as they potentially can be because they're still learning. And Bakaya Saka and Emil Smith Rowe are no different to that. Um, it, it's very very rare that you get a player like Cesc Fabregas come through who just instantly fits in and slots into a midfield or slots into a first team. Um, but we need our senior players to be stepping up and doing more than they are doing because it's it's really unfair on the youngsters. And obviously, Arsenal fans are we're renowned for being a little bit trigger happy with every statement we make. But I think Arsenal fans can sort of unite in that we we know that we've got a couple of special players on our hands here, so they're not going to get the brunt of the criticism. But the senior players are not doing enough in this current squad. Um, and, but that's also not to say that the manager isn't doing enough either, because obviously he's the one that ultimately is culpable um, for performances. And what I did want to ask you is, this is a bit of a, a broader question, but potentially if we get knocked out of the Europa League to Villarreal and we finish 10th or 11th, do you think that's it for Arteta? <laughs> I have this question written down for you. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, well, actually, I think without going in too much detail about what happened last week with the Super League and the subsequent collapse, if I were... The Cronkies look like they're going nowhere, although we'll talk about that later. If I were them and I'm looking at it and I go, okay, so we wanted to make millions and millions of pounds with the Super League, but now, do you know what, it turned, all our attention has to turn to making this club successful. I mean, they'll never turn all their attention, so that's a ridiculous comment, but I think you sort of know what I mean. Yeah. And then they look at it and they go, okay, we managed to get you, Arteta, 50 million out of nowhere for Thomas Party, and what you've returned is the worst season in Premier League history, and we're not in Europe. And yeah, look, if we get knocked out in the semi versus the final, I do think there's a big difference. But either way, if Arteta doesn't win it, I think he's in big trouble, as he should be. But the only thing in the back of my mind is that when we hired Arteta, it was a project. And actually, you either accept it's a project and give it a couple of years, or you don't, and you make a decision. I personally would give him... I'd give him a pre-season, which he's never had. <laughs> I, I think Another... that's a really key point. That's a really key point that he's not had a proper pre-season at any point of his tenure at Arsenal. So give him that and potentially see what he can do. So I, I'm definitely in agreement on that statement. Yeah, because I think, look, if I were, if we were Chelsea, he'd be gone. He'd be yeah. gone now. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'd like to give him a summer, although for me, when I look at the mistake Leno made and the way we played and the way we've consistently played under Arteta, the only common factor, he's changed the players, changed the systems, but he just could be one of those managers that it just doesn't work out for him here. He, he might go somewhere else and eradicate all these errors with a different set of players, but we, the longer games go on at nil-nil, you don't, even when we're playing well, my overriding emotion, and this might just be me and you might feel differently, isn't when's our goal coming, it's when's our mistake coming. And yeah. that kind of falls on, it doesn't kind of, that kind of, no, I've just said it again. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I mean kind of, falls on the manager. Yeah, um, 
I no, I, I agree with that entirely. I don't I don't think you can really look at Arsenal at the moment and don't think that. Um I texted you during the game on the week uh, on Friday and said to you that this has nil nil written all over it. Um but if I was going to be pushed for someone to win it, it, it probably wouldn't have been us purely because you you know that we've got that in us. Um, so it's it's enormously frustrating, and I think he he could be in big trouble. As, as I said, I'm I, I'm sort of in your line of thinking that I think probably give him a proper pre season, um, maybe get a few more of his own players in, um, move a few more out of the uh, of the ranks to to clear the wage bill up again. And to just get some of the deadwood out of the club, um, but ultimately, I think he he could be in trouble. Um, I think what's important is that although we know that it's a project under Mikel Arteta, um, it's how long you persist with that project, and that's obviously the question that the one that the people above him need to need to answer. Because if it's a project that quite clearly isn't working, which at the moment is not. They need to believe that Arteta can turn it round, which you you would assume they do, because obviously he was he was he had his role changed from head coach to manager. Um, we we've heard quite a few things, I think, through the Athletic, where they've said that the hierarchy are very happy with Mikel Arteta. Not exactly the dreaded vote of confidence. It seemed like a genuine. They are happy with him. Um, mm. So it's. It is it is difficult, but I going back to what we were talking about before about the senior players, I do wonder if there's an element of him maybe struggling to to manage some of those. Um and maybe that's due to his inexperience. Um like we look at Abamyang, which we saw how good he was at the start of Arteta's reign, but has sort of faded away in um the second season. And I wonder if that might be a factor in terms of the the relationship between the two, because I think there's this quite clearly not that not that synergy that that you'd hope for between manager and player at the moment, particularly manager and captain. It's so hard to know. It's so hard to know. My only hope is that the 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 Super League um, chaos, if you like, could have united the team and manager. And it's really hard to know and understand with Aubameyang because. I think you and I were ready to say he doesn't seem interested, Arteta's dropping him, and then you hear he's got malaria. Mm. And you're yeah. like, wow, he's, he's, he's got on the pitch with malaria, feeling that bad. You know, fair play. Yeah, and actually, definitely. you know, are we interpreting this wrong? And we're, we're so desperate to read into things. I think the team are playing for Arteta. I don't know whether the team is good enough, but what you can't legislate for as a manager, despite what I said, is a goalkeeper making a mistake that you just cannot make. I mean, I do think it's one of... Uh, I think I, I can't remember that I texted you this, but I certainly said, I think it's the worst goalkeeping error other than maybe Ospina against Olympiacos I've ever seen from an Arsenal goalkeeper. Yeah, that, 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 that was the conversation we had. That was the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did. You weren't the only one. I was, I was livid with him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know we did. And... Uh, yeah, I just think it's the worst. I think it's the worst mistake. It's that bad. In yeah. that setting as well. You know, it's just stupid. Also, this really pissed me off. Right, the audacity of Richarlison to celebrate the goal like he did on the back of that mistake. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. You're Tom, all for I it. Hate to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is the kind of nonsense. <laughs> I love that stuff. How dare... Uh, samba dancing. After, he doesn't even... <laughs> Do you know the worst part is it was a deflected. Oh, I just don't know. I just don't know. But it is it is a shocker. It is a shocker, and I, I think it just leaves me to ask um, whether you'd keep him in the team on Thursday. Hmm. Well, um, on my notes, I have got Leno form written down, um, <laughs> which obviously does sort of beg the question. That you need to answer that question about his form. Um, to re- to decide whether he he should keep his place, but I just think I think long term it'd be worse for Burton Leno if he was dropped completely after that. Um, certainly for his confidence, but I still think he 
he is our best option. Obviously, we've not seen an awful lot of Matt Ryan and he's not had an awful lot of football. And I think going into a big European game like we are on Thursday, I think you need your players that are most physically ready for a game like that. And I think regardless of that mistake, Leno is still the best choice that we have available. Um, but his form is, is a real, real concern. Um, mm. Because it's not it's not just been that decision and that mistake that he made against Everton. He hasn't looked himself for a couple months now. Um, probably since the Wolves game when he made that ridiculous mistake for the um, for the red card. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think he's quite been himself since then. So I'm not sure what's going on exactly if that really did knock his confidence. But I think I think that's probably about the point you can pinpoint when he was when he when he lost his mojo, so to speak. <laughs> Um, mm. But I would, I would keep him in the side for Thursday. What about you? I just think goalkeepers often have a flurry of mistakes when true. they look shaky. If he'd been on form and then made that mistake and it was out of nowhere, I think you'd go, no, I'd keep him in. But I think it's been on, it's been in the post, a mistake like that. I mean, you, well, I say a mistake like that. I just think. He has a few goals lately where I've questioned him, whether it was, um, I can't remember who, who he- oh, I think the um, Slavia Prague. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool. There was a Liverpool one, yeah. And the West Ham near post um, effort. Oh, from, that one uh, definitely. Bowen. That was, yeah, that one definitely, yeah. You know, the problem is, is that there's been so many games that actually they're probably closer together, relatively speaking, than we all think. And actually that's not, Great. I don't know. It's really tricky. He just looks like a goalkeeper who's missing confidence. Lacking confidence, I should say. Matt Ryan got a pre-assist in the last game. You know, he could get a goal for us. But no. uh, I would play Ryan. But I would also understand if Arteta went for Leno. Because as you say, well, it's football manager. I, I just think this is another headache Arteta did not need. I mean, he must just be going, oh, are you kidding me? I, I now have to decide to be my goalie. I've got to decide who my left-back is. I've got to decide my central midfield. I've got to decide my centre-back pairing. I've got to work out what I'm doing at striker. And now I've got to decide whether I can afford to play the number one goalie I've trusted all season. It's a tough, tough job. Um, I'd drop him, though. I would play Matt Ryan because I think... I just think goalies make mistakes in flurries. You see it all the time, is that they look really confident. They look great. They, you know, we've seen it with David De Gea, who's a much better goalie than Bernd Leno makes a mistake and then suddenly he can't do anything. Um, and yeah. I often see this as well. I often feel this with uh, goalies. When their first pass out their feet isn't right, they really struggle to get, regain composure unless they're the likes of Edison or Allison. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, I would play, uh, I'd play Matt Ryan. Um, before we move on from the Everton game, I just wanted to talk to you. We, we've talked about it at, at points. Um, throughout the season, but I don't think we've sort of fully gone into VAR, particularly around the offside rule. Um, I think I said last week about, well, I can't remember whether I did actually, but I made the point on Twitter that for me, contact in the box does not equal penalty. And yeah. I think the penalty shouldn't have been given for the contact. I agree. However, once it was given, how on earth have we got to a point and how on earth have we got to a world where that's offside? It's an absolute nonsense. It really is. And the fact that we're getting these so frequently, obviously, I think I think it's highlighted, like you said earlier, it is highlighted with us because those tend to be game-defining moments for us, um, mm. which I think is a really significant factor. Because obviously, if we went on and won these games, then we wouldn't be talking about these... Uh, uh, microscopic decisions um, are quite as much. But I, I can't believe we're in a situation where those sorts of decisions have been given off. So, I mean, I mean, looking at the lines, it looked to me like they were measuring it up against Pepe's elbow, which mm. isn't a part of his body that he can score with. So, that doesn't make sense. You've got the whole problem with, with that pick, which frame you decide to select to identify where that player is at a particular point. And if you're measuring it to the nearest pixel, like they appear to be, then that can make a drastic difference to whether someone is onside or offside. But mm. 
I think the solution for me would be that if you have to draw lines like that, if it's that close, I think you should just give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Um, I know there's going to be a fallout from that. And, and I, I think I heard Martin Tyler in the commentary say that um, clubs have voted in favour of these tight decisions and this, this way of officiating the offside rule, which I, I just can't imagine why, as a professional footballer or a professional club, you would be in support of that because it's it's so frustrating from a fan's point of view. Um, and it's just getting to a point, and this was the worry with VAR coming in, that it's going to ruin it for match-going fans. And obviously, we've been out the grounds for so long and it's it's ruining it for me as a fan from my sofa, let alone <laughs> me as a fan from my lofty heights in the East Stand. So it's it's... It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And I'm so frustrated that it happens every week. And I get frustrated. I don't just get frustrated when it happens to Arsenal. I watch games all the time and think that's ridiculous that that's been given by by a referee or by uh, having looked at VAR or if there's an offside decision. Um, it's, it's frustrating me as a football fan, not just as an Arsenal supporter. Yeah, because my biggest problem with this particular one, and I don't know if you, there's a guy called, I think his name's Dale Johnson, ESPN, who's like the VAR expert. Yeah. One of the things that fascinated me about this, and I just sort of put him, you know, everything really is going against us. So they went back 15 seconds to check for the offside, right? Which is the longest time anyone's gone back for a phase of play this season. But for me, because we say VAR, Really, what we mean is the referee, and I think his name is Peter Banks, um, decided to pull it back to that level and draw those lines on. He didn't have to. And when he saw the screenshot, he could have said, no, this is too close to call. What I do not understand, and this is the thing, is offside is gaining an advantage, right? And And this is where I think there does need to be a total reform. I'm uh, I'm not as anti VAR as most. But I am anti-VAR implemented like this and with these rules because the whole point of offside is so someone doesn't stand three yards offside and gain a huge advantage. Okay, we're we're, we're micro microscopic in our analysis of Arsenal, but the last two games where uh, Sabios's goal against Fulham and this one, you know, and he may have missed the penalty, and then it, it's not a conversation in the same way. But I, I, I don't understand what advantage we've gained. And I also don't understand how offside is the issue with that penalty being awarded. The issue is Richarlison, his stud suggests, uh, like lightly suggested some contact with Ceballos' leg. That's not a penalty in a million years. But I think that he pulled it back for offside because he felt it shouldn't have been given. But because the nonsense rule that any contact's a penalty, he looked for another way to rule it out. But neither of them are right. And it's just not football. It's just none of this is football. And I do think that we're on a hiding to nothing in terms of watching. You can forget a Super League because no one's watching football like this. It's not football. It's not. It's just it's against the essence of the game. And I know you always feel more passionate when it goes against your team. But I'm just sick of it, to be honest, because... You watch games now and the ball goes in the net and you don't know if it's a goal and they'll find a way to rule it out. They'll find a way. And that's not football. No, I think think you only have to look at um, when you say finding a way to rule it out. If we look at the Enketi equaliser against Fulham and they were looking at Rob Holding to see if he was interfering with the goalkeeper and how long that check went on for, for something which in my eyes was fairly cut and dry that he wasn't in the the goalkeeper's eye line. Um, it, it, it just it does feel like they're looking for ways to disallow goals rather than just accepting that a goal should be given. I, I watched a bit, of, a bit of the Leicester game last night. When Iheanacho scored, I instantly saw across the line and thought, there's a chance that this could get overturned. And mm. fortunately, fortunately, it didn't because, again, that would be another one that you don't want to be overturned in those situations but that's my initial thought that's always my thought when a goal goes in unless it's blatantly obvious that there could be no offside whatsoever um mm. you think there's going to be something to overturn it and it's it's ruining football it's ruining it as a spectacle um and as you say this whole kids of a certain age can't focus on a game for x amount of time um well they're not going to bother if football's like this they're really not 
<laughs> so no, and, and honestly, um, last season uh, before it all got locked down, I was going to a lot of Barnet games because when a goal went in, it was a goal. Yeah, and I miss that feeling. I miss that feeling because you actually celebrate. Whereas I, I, there are so many goals I haven't celebrated that end up being goals, and that moment's taken away. And it is it is all about those moments. And look again, my biggest frustration with this particular incident, of course, I think it is uh, amplified when your team loses, and we could have had a penalty that shouldn't but should have been a penalty but I just think the way it's going at the minute I do think we're asking for a huge amount of trouble with the the, the way it's going and how it's been implemented but uh but there we go and um, we touched on the uh the Super League yeah and last time we spoke it was uh, in full throttle and about to be implemented um for another half an hour and if we'd have chosen to record in an hour's time um, we'd have been doing a live stream on our reactions to the collapse of the Super League, but um, overriding emotion, relief, it's gone, but who knows what's left? Yeah, relief, it's gone, but also, um, we, I mean, we spoke about, this was probably the point of the, the podcast last week that remains relevant, um, particularly if you look at the fan protests before the Everton game, um, is that the relationship between supporters and the club has been completely soured. Um, and obviously, the relation you need to now question the relationships between these elite, in quotation marks, twelve clubs and the clubs around Europe, and those relationships and how they're going to be sustained or rebuilt. Because at the moment, um, it's going to be very hard for us as fans to trust our owners, and it's going to be very difficult for other clubs to trust our owners as well, because they've shown what they wanted to happen um i don't doubt there'll be some something else in the future that is controversial because i've most th- most things i've read have been well there will be some structure change in football at some point and obviously we look at the champions league restructure for 2024 um football is going to change in some capacity but i just i'm relieved but very very nervous about the owners that we have and what they want for arsenal football club and what they what they think well, they don't think this is best for the club. They think what is best for them. And I think that's the biggest the biggest thing we've got to be wary of. And that's why it was so important that the protest went ahead on, on, on Friday to let the, fan, uh, the owners know that, OK, this has subsided, the Super League. You've apologised for it, but we are still not happy with the direction that this club is taking. Um, and you are taking away the heart and soul of this football club. And I think that's that's been my overriding reaction to the last the last week. Hmm. Very fair. And almost almost exactly the same as mine. And I think, as you said, I don't know where our relationship with the club will lie or lies. Um I I do think it was uh impressive's the wrong word. I respected that Cronkey and uh, Josh Cronkey came out and spoke to the fan group. That was that was brave, um, yeah. and I I was pleased he did that. Uh, and I think it's great PR for the Cronkies, but it still doesn't work for me. Um, and Vini calling the other clubs to apologise. I mean, I'm glad we've you've retained one or two values that our club stands for, but it really. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's so broken. It's so broken um, and so hard to take at the moment. So we'll see what the fallout means. And I don't really know how I'm going to feel. I feel like once this season ends and we see what happens in the summer, I think we'll have a truer reflection on the feelings on the fallout because it's very hard to, to sort of understand. But of course, one of the things that came from it was our um, streaming service friend, Daniel... Daniel Eck? Daniel Eck, yeah. Um, mounting a bid. And if you're ever going to do it and you know Arsenal, get three Invincibles involved and suddenly everyone's hyped off their mind. Um, I mean, I saw all this stuff going round about how he's made his money and what he charges artists on Spotify, etc., etc. And I was just a bit like, oh, well, there's no such thing as a you know philanthropic billionaire. I think people have to get out of their minds that at this level of money... 
and all the things and the reforms we wanted, 50 plus one, you know, you just can't do that. It's going to be so hard to do that. So it's about whether your billionaire is going to care more than the last billionaire you had. And that's going to be football for the foreseeable future. Probably, I don't see how it changes in our lifetime unless there's a huge collapse. However, what we want at the helm is presence from an owner and someone driving it in a direction towards success. And it's very hard to believe that he wouldn't help Arsenal achieve that compared to Kroenke. The Kroenke's yeah. KSE. Yeah, we've got we've got to be really careful, really careful with the the next. Well, I I, I say careful, and when when it comes to this money and the transfer of ownership, there's there's not going to be any careful carefulness about it because if Kroenke doesn't want to sell, he he won't sell, and if he does want to sell, he'll sell to whoever will pay him the most money. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and this is the problem we're in when it comes to billionaires transferring across different commodities like this. Um, it's it's not going to be really possible to to be careful with that under the current infrastructure. Um, but ultimately, if you're like you said, if you get, if you want to get fans on board who and make them believe that you genuinely have the best interest of the club at heart, then get those three players involved in Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, and Dennis Bergkamp, and you uh, you go a long way to appeasing the fans. Um, I can't pretend to be an expert on him and know much about him. Obviously, I, I, I've read bits and pieces over the last couple of days, but it's it's potentially exciting. But again, I just I just come back to and I saw David Ornstein on Sky Sports News saying that the, the Cronkies absolutely are not going to sell, um, and it would take something <laughs> astronomical. For them you would say to, that in a negotiation. Though, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, it, it would be very, very foolish of them to come out and say, yeah, we're, we're actively trying to sell the club because it just reduces the value of what, what you're trying to sell. Um, but I think all the noise we've seen recently is that they're, they're, they're still see Arsenal as one of the, the crown in their jewels, so to speak, alongside the LA Rams. So unless, unless it gets to a point where they just can't, block out all the noise from supporters around the world then I just I, I just can't see him selling but fingers crossed I, I, I really really hope that we get an owner who is interested and will be at games and wants the best for Arsenal Football Club because that's what we want and I think we deserve an owner who is going to have the best interest of the club at heart mm. Very fair, very fair. Going to be very, very interesting to uh, to see what happens. But um, I suspect we won't see much go on before the summer. And I'm hoping that we can stop talking about what's going on behind the scenes and hope we're talking about um, more success on the pitch very, very, very soon. Yeah, and hopefully that will uh, coincide with us lifting the Europa League, which would be uh, sensational. <laughs> um, if, if that might be a bit optimistic, but... We're in it, so why not? <laughs> okay, so I think what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll go to the final segment of the podcast now, where we talk about goals of years gone by, and I think uh, it will be a really nice opportunity to talk about some uh, some really positive memories because it has been a, a really challenging week to be an Arsenal supporter, and and let's be honest, to be a football supporter over the last week, it's been it's been exhausting. Um, so I'm. We are going to talk about uh, goals against uh, Everton as our theme at the Emirates or at, or at Highbury. And this week, I'm going to let Andre kick us off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, um, I always like to try and find, particularly when we do goals against clubs, goals that, that are often forgotten about, but at the time meant a lot more than anticipated. And I actually picked the goal against Everton from last season because I remember being in the ground and Everton were, they, they were playing really well at the time and it was uh, going to be a tough battle and we went 1-0 down to a Calvert-Lewin goal and the goal I wanted to talk about was one from Eddie Nketiah who was starting that day and I was actually hoping, not that we picked these goals beforehand, but there, there'd have been a, a sort of um, arc in how this all appeared from this season to last but I think it's a a damning one for Eddie but it was a goal um, where Saka is played in down the left he beats his man and whips in a cross that is absolutely magnificent and Eddie being the poacher he is is is, is run onto it timed his run 
beautifully uh, and and sort of pokes it past Pickford from six yards out. But it's great controlled finish. But the reason it really stuck with me at the time is because it was a real academy goal. And it was a Saka at 18, crossing for Eddie at 19. And you just felt like you saw the future play out in front of you. And like I said, because it was quite a big game, relatively speaking, and seeing those two connect and thinking about what they've been through together at the academy and coming up and then scoring in front of, you know, at the Emirates, in front of all our fans, it just must have been the most sensational feeling in the world for the two of them to, to have that goal and have that moment. We went on to win the game as well after an Aubameyang brace, which, which always helps. But it was just that excitement of it coming from our academy and feeling like it was the purest form of an Arsenal goal that can exist not Wenger ball or anything like that, but our academy boys scoring and creating on the biggest stage. And it, I just remember it so vividly about what a wonderful finish it was, but what a goal and how it was constructed. And just that connection with the club, which again, it seems strange talking about after what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. I think that's a really, really lovely description of that goal. And it, it does leave you sort of pining for that connection with the club. Um, which you still get in those fleeting moments, and obviously that you you only have to go to last season for that for that example um, to have an a, an incident where a stadium's full of supporters and we were able to watch our team play and our academy graduates play and performing at that level. Um, so really, really wonderful memory, and uh, I'm uh, I, I'm very pleased I was at that game because. Uh, Oh, well, obviously, a season ticket holders were the vast majority of the home games, but that one particularly, um, it felt like things were starting to change for Arteta at the time. And uh, obviously, things haven't quite been as smooth sailing as we might have hoped, but that was certainly uh, an example in the league where we, we played some really good football and scored some really good goals. Um, and that, that was one of them. Okay, so my turn now. So we are going to change pace slightly with this goal. Because we just described a really, really beautiful goal um, and Andre described it perfectly and really, really beautifully. And I'm going to talk about a game that I would say is the embodiment of terrible football. Um, it was a 2-2 draw with Everton at home uh, where Thomas Rosicki scored a deflected equaliser in the last minute to say to get us a point. And the reason why I selected this was, again, I, I've kind of gone down your line of thinking of um, picking a goal that people might have forgotten about. And this is certainly one that many would have forgotten about. But my overriding memory of this is uh, just how fucking freezing it was in the Emirates. <laughs> and I, I've never been to a game and been as cold as I was on that day. Um, that day, I was actually sitting in uh, one of the season tickets that belongs to our good friend Sammy Brunner. So, Sammy Brunner? Sammy Heller now, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, but I was sat, sat in the East Stand Upper in her season ticket spot. And I've just never been so cold. I've never been so cold. And I was shaking the whole game. Um, and it got to the point in stoppage time where I just wanted the final whistle so I could get up and move. It, 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 there wasn't really this elation of, oh, wow, we've got a last-minute equaliser. It was, OK, we've got an equaliser. Can we finish the game so I can go home now? Because it's, it's awful. <laughs> um, and it was just... I, th I, th I think that sort of goes hand in hand with that fixture because it was a really poor performance where we, we almost lost um, and it was a really scrappy goal with the deflection and it was a really horrible set of conditions to be both playing and present for. So it's uh, <laughs> that is the memory that I first thought of when we thought of Everton at home, <laughs> which... Uh, isn't uh, the most glamorous, but uh, important nonetheless. But I think it also highlights just how significant football is to us and how we go through thick and thin. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. We will always go if we can. And that was uh, a prime example of uh, doing all you can to support your club. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I was there. Um, it was... I I've never been that cold in my life. Ever. 
ever. It was like being in a freezer for 90 minutes. And um, I'm going to give you a quick quiz question. Do you know who scored the first goal for us that day? It was Danielson, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, on the bench for Everton, Skodran Mustafi. Jeez, wow. I, I didn't even realise he was on the bench for that one. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just looked at it. I just looked up the game because I was trying to look at uh, how long ago it was and it was 11 years now, um, which is also terrifying. Pienaar scored a magnificent chip in that game. Um, but yeah, just having a little look here. I was having a little look at our team. Almunia, Sanya, Vermaelen, Gallas, Armand Traore, Diaby, <laughs> Nasri, Denilson, Ramsey, Arshavin, Eduardo. Marida, Rossiki and Vela off the bench. Hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was uh, Arson working his miracles to get teams into the top four during that period. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Fair play. But yeah, Mustafi on their bench. That's hilarious. That is very funny. Um, and then the high, high scrabble storing Billy Eletinov, who is always a good feature in a Sporkle quiz. Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, one of the players I mentioned in there is going to be the feature of my second goal. So the goal I picked, and we've talked about this game before because it was Aubameyang and uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan's debut, um, but it was actually Ramsey's hat-trick goal. And, and one of the reasons this one stuck out for me, firstly, that my love of Aaron Ramsey is, is well known at this point. It was a fantastic um, run down the right from Mkhitaryan who sweeps the ball across the box and just arriving right on cue, as he so often did, was Aaron Ramsey to sweep home for his hat-trick. Um, magnificent goal, capped a, a five-star performance against Everton. But I actually just... The reason it stuck out to me is because I think it was the last time a midfielder probably scored for Arsenal. <laughs> no, joke. does feel like that, though. It does. Um, yeah, but, you know, I look at the current team and, and look, it doesn't quite work like this, but I was imagining that Aaron Ramsey next to Thomas Party and just going, oh, but you really don't know what you've got till it's gone. And a goal-scoring midfielder in Aaron Ramsey, although I felt like we all knew this was in the post, that we'd really miss him. Uh, to score a hat-trick from midfield, I, I just, he was wonderful and we really miss that presence in midfield that looks like they'll score us a goal. And he was incredible that day. And there were so many great Aaron Ramsey moments that we've, we've talked about several times. But, you know, I, I, the main reason this one got to me is just the way he arrived in the box. And then I looked at the statistics from this season. We got one goal from midfield in open play. And that was Erdegaard against Tottenham in the Premier League. Just one. And in this, we had three from Aaron Ramsey. And uh, yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, but it really wasn't that far ago. And uh, it captured, cap um, what did it? it was uh, Mkhitaryan's fourth assist of that game as well. But uh, yeah, happier times, but left me yearning for a, a midfield maestro with some goals in them. Like Joe Willock? Oh, Joe. Joe, yes, like Joe, Joe. Joe. No, oh. not like Joe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like fucking Joe. <laughs> I mean, look, I've been impressed with Joe. I mean, fair play to that man. He has been... I put him in the fantasy team. Then he keeps starting on the bench. And then he keeps scoring. I mean, it's been quite incredible. It's quite incredible, really. And if nothing else, he's adding uh, millions and millions, I think, to his transfer sale to Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, he, he is. So, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, well... He's one that I think everyone was desperate for him to really make an impact at Arsenal, but I think ultimately it's just been shown that he's he's not quite good enough um, for the club. But you never know; he maybe will come back for pre season and something will happen. But I suspect he might be one that we use to generate some uh, some much needed transfer funds. Um, but anyway, I digress. It's time for my second and final selection. And do you know what, Tom? Before we do, before we do, because I'm so excited to talk about it. We, we we haven't touched on the cup final at the weekend. Um, oh, oh, would you like to be? <laughs> would you like to before we go into just just a couple of moments on on um, 
on on Manchester City beating our North London neighbours to continue their trophy drought and guarantee them into five thousand days without a trophy. Oh, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. <laughs> um, the only uh, I was very nervous watching that game because the longer it went on and the, the more Tottenham were battered, I could just see one nil Harry Kane happening from somewhere. But fortunately. Laporte saved everyone's emotions with that uh, latish goal and um, justice prevailed because it would have been an absolute travesty had uh, Man City not won that cup final because they ultimately should have won the game four or five nil at least. So mm. <laughs> um, an insipid Tottenham display um, showing no, no real desire to win the trophy and hopefully that is the last we hear of Ryan Mason's magic. Yes, absolutely. And and look, they are they are who they are. And if nothing else, if nothing else, in all the trials and tribulations this season, at least we're not them. At least we're not them. And I'm going to cheer everyone up with the ending of this podcast because my final goal uh, is celebrating a fantastic moment where we clinched a trophy. And I'm going to bring us into this by saying... And it's Tony Adams put through by Steve Bold. Would you believe it? It was, it had to be that. We couldn't not talk about that moment um, when we're talking about memories of goals against Everton. And that is my, it was my first experience of watching a game in a pub that I remember because I was with my dad and my brother in a, uh, a pub in Margate called Sheldon's. And it was uh, it's a really traditional English pub and it was full of uh, Arsenal fans. And I just remember the atmosphere being really, really vibrant. And because I was that was my first exposure, I just assumed that every game in a pub was like that because the atmosphere was so good and there was so much riding on the game. My my young mind just thought that that's what football was always like. And obviously, that isn't what football's always like. <laughs> um, you don't always have those moments. You don't always have those magical memories of your captain rampaging from centre-back up to centre-forward and finishing with a plomb. Um, but it is one of my favourite memories of all time. It is one of my favourite pieces of commentary of all time. Um, and it is Tony Adams securing the title for Arsenal Football Club. Is there anything better than that? That sums it all up. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> um, magical. Magical. Uh, like you, and I think this is something that is wonderful about having found a kindred spirit in you, Tom, that we have shared this at very similar ages, similar experiences, and it shaped so much of how we view football and view this club, and watching him smash it in with his left foot. And I didn't understand why Tony Adams put through by Steve Bold was so significant at the time, because they're just players on the pitch, and I probably didn't understand how bizarre it was that a centre-half was playing in another centre-half. I just probably thought, that's what happens when you win the league. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and to have that memory so young, and now for it to be so ingrained in the fabric of... of what we've seen and what we've lived through. We really lived through the golden age and in many ways experiencing it growing up was so wonderful. I, I sort of wish I'd been 10 years older to really understand what was going on. Yeah. But either way, now to have witnessed it, to understand it, it was magic and it was so magical. And we may not live through something like that again, but that sun-kissed Highbury Stadium our captain and his arms aloft, it just doesn't get better. It really, really doesn't. Um, and <laughs> I, I get quite emotional talking about that goal because it just, <laughs> it, 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 it almost was the, the, the real start of my, my love affair with Arsenal Football Club. Um, obviously, it did start a little bit before that, but that was that was the the big moment. That was the big moment where when I decided, right, this is it. This is me sucked in for good, um, and it's just something I've got such a vivid memory of. 
Um, and like a lot of my fantastic young memories, they are shared with with my family as well. So mm. um, I, I, I hope those are those are fond memories uh, as much for my family as they are for 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 me as well. But uh, a really really fitting way to end this podcast because it has been a difficult couple of weeks, um, and it has not been easy being an Arsenal fan for quite a while now. So it's really nice just to end on such a such a positive note. Um, so thank you very much for sharing your goals and your experiences with me today, Andre. It's been an absolute privilege as always. Oh, absolutely. Here's to, here's to, um, here's to success this week. Here is to success this week. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. And if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, just search for us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook by searching for The Boys in Red and White. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with another podcast. And hopefully we will have a positive result from the Europa League to talk about. So thank you and goodbye.